chapter number one. We're going to do one more study on Satan's church here. And uh, really the source of the spiritual darkness is kind of how I titled this. We're not really done talking about all of this, but we're kind of wrapping it up. Today is Independence Day, the, the 4th of July, the weekend. And uh, I, wa- I just want to kind of talk about where the source of the spiritual darkness comes from and uh, the victory that we have over it. And then that's what's going to lead us into the, the next coming weeks, talking about uh, the victory that we have. Because we have not, you, you got Colossians 1, look at verse 12. Colossians 1, 12. Giving thanks unto the Father. Uh, note, comma. No, notice, I, I hope that you give thanks to the Father uh, for everything. For the food you eat, for the clothes you wear, for everything. Because even though he didn't make the clothes you wear, somebody in China did probably, or Taiwan now, or Vietnam now. It, it's still, he made the man, the, the individual's uh, smarts, what do you call it, in, intellect to design it and to do it. He made the guys, you think about Henry Ford and the Model A. I've been looking at Model A's and I'm just kind of drooling a little bit, you know how you do that. I still got the 58 in the, in the, in the, on the side yard torn apart. So you're always looking at that next project. I got the 67 Honda Dream 305 sitting next to it torn apart. So you're always looking at that next project, you know. And the, my wife says, what are we, Sanford and Son down here? Now, for you young people, look it up, okay. But, but it's, we'll get there as soon as the weather cools off, right? That's what we say, right? But see, the thing is, is when you think about Henry Ford developing that in, engine and so forth and the vehicle, the engine was there prior to him. He just put it to, with four wheels and did It's the intelligence. That's God-given. That's what he did with man. So we're, we should be giving thanks to the Father, which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints, notice, in light. And again, I'll remind you, as we've been looking at the Satan's church, we, we identified it. It's identifiable in Scripture. Therefore, we can come over into society, into the world, and identify it, and we can see it. And I know what happens. Everybody looks around and says, well, it's the Roman Catholic Church. No, that's just the modern manifestation of it. And if you look close enough at some Protestant denominations and so forth, you see the same thing. They just word it a little different. They, they take the edge off of it a little bit. But where at least Rome is right in your face with it, where the Protestants kind of hide it a little bit, it's there. We looked at that. We looked at the fact of that issue in Philippians of captivity captive and what was, who was taken captive and what was taken captive. And we saw, we went back and we looked at that issues in Genesis. And, and again, today, that, that source of it, And that source is designed to produce some works in it. And that's this issue. You and I, we've been made meet. That word meet, equipped, qualified. The wife is to be a help meet. Not mat, but a help meet. She's she's qualified. Colossians, he'll say that, that, uh, we'll just look across there at chapter 3. I love the way Paul says this. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Fit, hand in glove. They fit. See, that's the, 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 how you were created was to fit in Christ, 112. We are what? We're fit, we're meat, we're qualified to be what? Partakers of the inheritance of the saints. But where? In light. Now watch verse 13. 
who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were, and we got into all of that, and we've been looking at all of that in a very broad stroke issue. But the thing I want you to catch is that we've been delivered from. We've been, give, we've been declared, we've declared our independence from. In the Revolutionary War and all of that was happening and the, and, and, and the colonies were making their declaration, the biggest thing in all of that was they didn't want the king telling them what to do. Right? Rough estimate. Yeah. Boil it down to the basics. So what did they do? We declare ourselves to be. And then we got to go fight a war to get it done. But the thing is, is what do we do? What are we... We, in Christ, giving thanks unto the Father, who hath made us, which hath made us. He's done this. This is the work of the Father based upon the work of the Son. What has he done with you? He's made you qualified to be a partaker. Why? Because Christ died for your sins, verse 14. Okay? But then what did he also do? And he did what? He delivered us from the power of darkness. He comes in and he takes us out from underneath the power of the adversary to run and to control you as a Gentile, you as who you were in your old man. And this is critical to catch as we talk about Satan's church, as we talk about what's going on in the world. When you see things happening in the world about you, you and I should never be shocked that lost people act like lost people. We should understand why they're doing that. Because there is a conflict in Scripture, therefore in the world, between light and darkness, between truth and error, between godliness and ungodliness, between holy and unholy, between righteous and unrighteous, and on and on it can go. Whatever you need to get it clear in your head, you say that there's a conflict between God and Satan. And you and I, as members of the church, the body of Christ, partakers of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, partakers of that code, death, burial, and resurrection, that identity that we have in Christ, we have been delivered from. And yet, what do we tend to do? Go live right back underneath it. And there's an issue here. Come over to 1 John chapter 5 that you have to catch. And then I want you to catch because I want you to see the source of that darkness, the source of the spiritual darkness. 1 John 5 and verse um, 19. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in what? Wickedness. There's a spiritual wickedness, a spiritual darkness that in Ephesians 6 he calls it the rulers of spiritual darkness. The spiritual wickedness in high places. The whole world lies where? In wickedness, in darkness. You come back into, uh, on your way back to Genesis 1, stop in Psalms 119 because you need that. But Genesis 1, this is where we've been, we've been kind of, it's fascinating. You know, Paul says in these five words, and you, and you start noticing five words and the five word things, and then you start beginning to notice how often Paul drags you and I back to Genesis 1 
Genesis 2, Genesis 3. Because there's some, that, you know what that tells me? <laughs> it tells me the same thing it tells me that when Paul repeats himself, I got to know something. There's some, there's, there is a reason why Paul in Colossians 1 drags us back to, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, the visible and the invisible, the thrones, the ben, dominions, the powers, that governmental structure we saw last time. There's a reason why Paul draws our attention back to that. Because what is Paul doing? He's completing the revelation of it all. Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And we've studied that. We looked at that issue of judgment. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Notice, there's darkness now. In the beginning, he creates the heaven and the earth. He forms it. It's got purpose. That's what forming it is. It, Psalms, he says, he forms it in his hands, and he places it right where it belongs. And then all of a sudden, now it's without form. It's no purpose. It's useless. It's void. It's vanity. It's empty. It's got no form. It's got no purpose. And darkness moved. So now we have an introduction of darkness. And darkness in the Scripture is the judgment of God on those who have rejected the truth. Over and over again, you will see darkness. Over and over again through Scripture, you see the prophets refer to the tribulation and trouble as the night time. And the night, and in the day, we're going to do this, and then in the night, this happens. When the Garden of Gethsemane, and he goes off to pray, we're, at the, we're in the night and what happens? The guys can't keep their eyes open. They fall asleep. When they come and take the Lord, it's at night. Darkness. Nothing good happens in the dark. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, he made a comment about, you always see the character of a man and what he does in the dark. Why? Because there's something about the darkness. So the darkness here in 1-2, the judgment, that without form and void, it's used only one other place in Jeremiah 4, and it's in the context of the second coming and the battle of Armageddon and that end, and it's judgment. The judging here isn't the return of Christ back. It's the withdrawal of himself. And we looked at that where he hung that curtain up there, and he hides his glory, and he pulls himself out of. That's why verse 3 in the... In, in, uh, he says, and God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light, and the light was created. And, and, and uh, God saw that the light and that it was good, and God divided the light from the what? The darkness. And God, God called the light day. Notice it's a capital D. There's, it's, a, it's a personification of someone. It isn't that he created the sun. That comes, here in a little, that comes down in verse 14. See? Day four. It's not that he created the moon and the stars. He, there's, a there's, a, there's a conflict happening. And the darkness he called night. Again, capital N, proper name. Boom, here's, there's a personification of something's going on. What's happened here? And God what? Said. But what did the adversary do? What does the adversary do here? He causes a... Well, he causes a judgment to come in verse 2. He causes the angelic host to fall. And you know what happens? They've rejected the word 
of God. Look at Psalms 119. You can let Genesis go for just a moment. Psalms 119 and verse number 30. So when we talk about the source here of the darkness, the power of darkness, who's, who is this emanating? Who's it, where is it coming from? It's very fascinating. Psalms 119 verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth what? Light. You want to have light. And God said, let there be light. And he, what God said, there's the word of God brought light to the, to the creation. He does that based on Job 36, 37, 38 over there, where the, where the angels could now watch him create and do. When he creates in Genesis 1 and those six days there, and he comes down and he does that, the angelic realm are rejoicing. The sons of God are singing and shouting. Why? Because when he says it is good, okay, Proverbs said that wisdom, the blueprint for the creation was there and God uses it. When he says it is good, was it good to have the sun, the moon, the stars and all that? Sure. He didn't make it with, could you imagine a star having, having half of its self lit up? No, it's not that kind of good. It's good in that what did it match? It matched the blueprint. It's good in that it matched the word of God. It's good because it's got a purpose there's a purpose in creation, and I'm jumping ahead of myself a couple weeks, but the purpose in creation now, starting in Genesis 1, verse 3, is God's reconciliation plan in the earth to use man to do what? To subdue and have dominion over and to rule. And there it comes in that governmental structure again. And I told you last time, and I'll say it till the day I die, the issue in Genesis 1 to revelate the end of the book of the Revelation is whose throne is running the universe? Who's in charge? God says, when I'm in charge, there's light in the moment, the entrance of thy Words giveth light, it giveth what? Understanding, I love that, unto the simple. I, you know, I, I hear guys, and man, they got their heads so full of garbage, and I'm just sitting here going, Lord, keep me simple. It's amazing to me, Paul warns you not to be high-minded, warns you to have a humility of thinking, warns you. War, I mean, he constantly warns. Why? Because when you got, you know what a Ph.D. is, right? Pulse toll digger. That's what a Ph.D. gets you. Now you can post, dig, I, by the way, I can dig posts. I can dig holes. I, and I don't need a machine to do it. Get out there and then feel it for four weeks. It's on my back, you know. What's happening here? Come over to Romans 1. Watch Paul. Watch where Paul does, how Paul does this with us. So the entrance of the word gives light. And where there's no light, no word, what is there? Darkness. So where does the darkness come from? It comes from the removal, the rejection of the word of God. For you and I today, the word of God rightly divided. The dispensational Bible study method. You remove that, you remove yourself from the testimony of our Lord, and you remove yourself from his spokesman, the Apostle Paul. You know where you're walking? You're walking in darkness. I don't care what you say, how you say it, how you think, what you think. That's just what the Word of God says. It's not my opinion. My opinion is, is you're something else. The Word of God says you're walking in darkness. Look at Romans 1, verse 18. 
Notice how Paul starts the great book of Romans. After the introduction, after he lays it out, he's going to get into the issues. And again, Romans is a courtroom battle. It's a legal treatise of the courtroom of God versus man. Here it is. Boom. Paul's the prosecuting attorney. God the Father sits on the throne. God the Son sits next to Paul. Man sits right there. Paul starts... For the love of God is revealed from heaven. Hello? He didn't say that, did it? Where does he start? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Whoa! Where's the love of God at? Well, we'll get to that in chapter 3. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of who? Of men. But what are they doing who hold the truth in unrighteousness? You see, God isn't mad at man. God's mad at man about what? The, the sin, messing around, holding the truth where? He says, I've given, I love Moses. Don't you love, I, well, I love the whole, everybody in the book. He says, I lay before you death and life. Please choose life. Now that's RJ's little book. And by the way, later on, you know what the Lord says to him? You guys chose death. You signed a, an agreement with death and hell. You could have had life. I could have come and did, but you didn't. You went that route. You have to remember, God will give you what you want. He's never going to hold back. He's never going to change. The wrath of God is revealed for what? against those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now watch verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, the them there, the men who are holding the truth in unrighteousness. By the way, what truth are they holding in unrighteousness here? Keep reading, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even by his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What truth are they holding in unrighteousness? The creator truth. The truth that he is the creator. What are they going to do? Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. There's our darkness. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible men and the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own body between them who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever amen what did man do man chose to worship the creature more than the creator you see the truth that he's holding here in the context is the truth of the creator so now we're back to genesis 11 tower of babel what did nimrod do he says, we don't need to go do that. We need to be here, and we're going to have a one God. We're going to have a one language. We're going to have a one religion. We're going to have a one political scheme where God had told them to do what? Scatter. Fill it up. He says, you don't need to do that. We'll, we'll be here. Here will be sin. And Babel began, and Baal worship began. Actually, it didn't begin with Nimrod. It began with Cain, but it became more, it, it, it became okay to do. 
You see, what did they do? They took the truth of God and turned it into a lie. They start out by knowing, verse 21, they have a spiritual connection with God, they've got it, but where did they end it up? They ended up in darkness. Now, how'd they get that way? Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. How'd they get in darkness? They rejected God's word. And by rejecting God's word, his light, he gave them, he placed them in darkness. And that darkness, again, is the judgment, it's the absence of God. That's where they're at. And the conflict of verse 25, the truth to the lie. He didn't, when, when Satan talked to Eve, he didn't have to do anything big. He just said, yea, hath God said. Over the doors coming into this room, there's a sign. Romans 4, what saith the scripture? You know why? Because that's what we're about. I, I have my opinions about a lot of things, but not when it comes to being up here. Here's what scripture says. And if you've got a problem with it, you're going to argue with scripture. You're not arguing with me. Now, we can have a problem. I'll figure that out. But the, what does the scripture say? What did, he, what did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say that? There's some things that God doesn't want you to know about, the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. But if you join me, I'll give you the decipher code. I'll give you the decoder ring. I'll give you the Illuminati, the illumination to understand it. But you've got to join me. And then I will reveal all things to you. And I will make you know everything. And that appealed to Eve. And she believed it. And the ultimate focus of the lie, it starts with Lucifer, the anointed cherub. He sees down thine heart, thy beauty, thy pride got him. The ultimate focus of the lie is making the creature, whether it's you or Satan, or as God. Come over to Ephesians 4. And the conflict that's raging for the souls of men that started back there in the garden and it will go all the way to the great white throne judgment. That conflict, the result of leaving God's light, leaving God's word, is darkness. And it's spiritual darkness. You guys with me? Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, uh-oh, when Paul says stuff like this, you better antennas go up, focus goes in. Because if this could happen to that great church at Ephesus, then you know where it can happen? To the little church here at Southwest. <laughs> because just as it, could hap it did happen at that big mega church run in there where Paul was at, where he holds nothing back from them, gives them everything, lays it all there two, three years, however long. And you know what he says? There's some of you there living like the Gentiles. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, ye, again, the church at Ephesus, but ye who? Church, the body of Christ. Do what? Henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Here's how lost people function, folks. 
Here's how, how do they walk? How do they work? How do they live? They li- vanity. The vanity of their minds. Emptiness. Nothing there. Verse 18. Having the understanding what? Darkened. Being alienated from the what? The life of God. You see, God pulled out. Darkness comes in. God reaches back in and says, all right, got to put a little light on this so I can, they can see that I do have a purpose. There is a wisdom plan, and he does it. Alienated from the life of God through the what? Ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. You see, there is a work of this power of darkness, and its design is to fulfill the lust of your flesh. Look at verse 19. To work all uncleanliness, lasciviousness. That's, that's bad. But then it says, with what? Greedy. That's even worse. You're the pig at the trough. Can't get enough. Give me some more. That's what your flesh does. That's what your old man does. They throw God out. They're blinded. They're ignorant. They get rid of the light. We'll, we'll not retain God in our knowledge. We won't have him. We will be our own God. When that happens, verse 18, they have no ability to think properly. Why do you think when you listen around and see the events of the... Ha- and just instead of arguing with the TV when you hear this stuff, because they don't hear you anyway. They really don't care. Listen to what they are said. Or listen to what is being said. And you know what happens? For 17, 18, and 19 come to life. If socialism was such a winning proposition, then why aren't the migrant trains going to Venezuela? What do that migrant train know? that the people that they interview and talk to over here don't know. Socialism ain't working. But you can't tell them here. So you begin to listen to them. Folks, we're to redeem the time. The days are evil. We're to do the work of an evangelism. You better know who, uh, evangelist, you better know who you're talking to. You know how you do that? You listen. Got two of these bad boys. You listen to them talk the things about the abortion over the last couple weeks, and I saw a sign, get your Bible out of my body. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, just saying, just ignorance. And then he said, well, let, let me talk to you about the God of the Bible. Oh, no, you better. I never said one word about boo. I just want to talk to you about God, Christ, your eternity, and what? Hey, you know what that is? That's this stuff working. That's where we're at. You see, folks, you give yourself over to this stuff. You and I have the temptation to do this. That's why verse 20, he says, but ye have not so learned who? You didn't learn this from Christ. You know what you learned from Christ? It's not I, but Christ. I'm crucified, not I, but who? But Christ liveth in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved. I, I, came, I understand. I got a new identity. 
I've come to understand Romans 8, 35 to the end of the chapter that life is not my enemy anymore. I'm a more than a conqueror in it. I can take the details of life and have victory in it. I've been given to victory. I've been declared free. And yet, you know what we do? Oh, no, man, we got to hammer them down. Hammer. Why? Don't you read Romans 12 where God says, Avenge, I'm going to get them? Yeah, we read it, but do you believe it? See, that's where we're at here. You see, folks, you, you, you live in absolute contradiction to who you really are if you're here in this darkness. Because who really are you? you got this wonderful identity in Christ. And when you give in to verse 17, 18, and 19, when you give in to the world, when you give in to the course of this world, when you give in to the prince, the power of the air, you know what you're doing? You're living in absolute contradiction to who you are. In 2 Timothy 2, he says you oppose yourself. And your conscience is going to get seared like a hot iron. I don't know if you've ever dealt with seared. I have. I got a mark on the back of my leg from backing into a, muff, a hot muffler on a Harley Davidson. It's a perfect circle. It seared it. You guess what? It ain't ever coming back. It's softened over the years. Either that or I've just gotten old and it looks like the rest of the wrinkle. you know. But the thing is, is seared. You know what penetrates a seared iron? A seared thing? Only the light of the word of God rightly divided. Come over to Ephesians chapter 2. You see, folks, the source here isn't God. The source is the adversary. You know what he's wanting to do? He's wanting to take the truth of God. Think about this. Well, second, uh, Ephesians 2. Verse 12. That at that time, time past, ye the Gentiles, were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Now think about that. Time passed. What did God do in time past? He looks at Abraham, says, Abraham, you're my guy. I'm going to take the nation, you, make you a nation. And then in Genesis 17, he says, I'm going to put a sign of a seal here of this agreement called circumcision, and those that are circumcised are in, and those that are uncircumcised are out. And I'm going to take those nations, we'll see the verse here in a minute, and I'm going to assign them to the adversary and let them have them. This nation, your seed, I'm going to deal with, they're mine. I'm going to mark them. They're mine. You with me? In time past back there, as a Gentile, who did you belong to? The adversary, Satan. You were assigned to him. Why? Because you're without God. Where? In the world. What did you do back there? Not you personally, but what did the Gentiles do? We will have no other God before us but us. We're the men. Boom, boom, boom. Nimrod. Here we go. That's in there. Now watch verse 13. But now. In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. In time past, things were a certain way. Today, things are completely different. And that, do, and that gets into the dispensational issues of the reconciling of the world. And we'll talk about that in the coming day. Look over at Acts 26. Acts 26, the Apostle Paul recounting to King Agrippa his 
Acts 9 conversion, verse 16, Acts 26, 16. He says, King, this is what happened, verse 15, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, that's unbelieving Israel, and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. On the road to Damascus, you have the call, the conversion, and the commissioning of the Apostle Paul in one event. Now keep reading. All right? So I'm delivering you, and I'm going to send you back. To do what? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Where were you? You were in darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. Look at that. And, man, it just gets even better, doesn't it? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. Think about this. God talking to Paul on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know what he says, Paul, I'm going to take you, the leader of the rebellion against me and my people, and I'm going to send you out to those who live in darkness, spiritual darkness, those who are ignorant of God, where ignorance abounds, those who professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, those who said, I don't want to retain God in my knowledge, that I've given up. And I'm going to send you into there. I'm going to send you into that captivity of darkness. I'm going to send you to those people that belong to Satan. They're under the power of Satan. They're under his authority, his rule. And you know what you're going to do, Paul? Through the gospel that I'm giving you, through the message I'm giving you, you're going to open their eyes. Isn't that fascinating? You're going to turn the light bulb on. And the light is, is Calvary. Where do I get forgiveness of sins? At the cross. The power, the activity of Satan to run your life back to God so that you know what they can do? They can have forgiveness of their sins, but also have an inheritance. There's the future hope. So now come back to Genesis 15. You see, folks, when we talk about the power of darkness, the spiritual wickedness, the source of it is the adversary. In Genesis 15, God's going to talk to Abraham, and he's confirming up. Uh, Genesis 12, he gives the Abrahamic covenant. We see it written. He's actually given the Abrahamic covenant to Abraham in Genesis 10 when he's dividing out the nations. He divides out the nations, looks at Abraham and says, you've got to get away from mom and dad. You've got to get out of there. You've got to come here and do this. Okay. The events of Genesis 11 happened during Genesis 10 with Nimrod. Abraham is moving as well. So that's why the past tense of Genesis 12. Genesis 13 and 14, Abraham, he's dealing with Lot, trying to get away. Chapter 15, he finally does. In verse number... Oh, nine. We're just going to drop in here. And he said unto him, 
So the Lord, uh, well, actually, verse 5, better read that. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, tell the stars if thou able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe God? That his seed was going to be as numerous as the stars. He didn't believe that Christ died for his sins, was buried and rose again the third day. That wasn't the message to Abraham. What was the message? You're my guy, and your seed's going to be that way. Now, what does Abraham know? He's an old man. Sarah's an old lady, and we're not going to have kids, so how's this going to happen? And you got the rest of the story. But look at verse 9. Because he made the agreement, he made the covenant, now he's going to ratify it with the shedding of blood. And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. There's your poor man's sacrifice at the end there. Take them all. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. By the way, what is birds in type in Scripture? They're, the, they're, they're agents of the adversary. Okay, the parables tell you when the birds came, the, the sower, the birds, that's the devils. That's the adversaries, people. What'd they do? They come down on the, upon the carcasses. What's the carcass? It's that sacrifice. What'd they do to Christ at Calvary? They descended on him, didn't he, in those three hours of darkness? Not only was the sun out, but the spiritual darkness. And there's a hammering. The bulls of Bashan are around me, Psalms 22. There they are. We see a picture of this now. And when the sun, verse 12, was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And lo, now watch, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now that's going to be a picture of Egypt. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation, Egypt, whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. Now watch what's happening here. God puts Abraham, he's in a sleep, but he places Abraham into a situation where he was able to experience what all the Gentile nations were experiencing, that horror of darkness. Something so horrible, so fearful, so threatening that it woke Abraham up that God had to come in and reassure deliverance in the next verses. You see, the great horror of darkness, the botch of Egypt, we, we know that's Egypt, but what is Egypt? It's a picture of what? The world. It's a picture of the nations in the world. What's going on here? Abraham, he's been set aside over here. God's di divided up the Gentiles. You with me? No? Okay. He's divvied them up. And he's come over here, and he says, okay, Abram, you see those guys? You're different. You're my guy. But you need to see what they're going through. Puts them in the sleep. Okay? 
You have to experience it. Come over to Job 15. Job 15. Actually, look back with me. Look back at Genesis 1. We've got to get this. Sorry. Everything we see happening around us is coming from a spiritual source. Okay? It's coming at us because of Genesis 1, 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> All right? 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. How did he create it? And God said, let there be. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. What has happened between 1-1 and 1-2? There's been a rebellion in the creation. That rebellion is introducing, taking the truth of God and turning it into a lie. That rebellion, Isaiah 14, we've already looked at it. I will be like, and he, boom. That rebellion is there. Matthew 25 is clear that that rebellion took place, and it took off, and God created hell to stop the rebellion. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. What stops the rebellion? The creation of hell. But the rebellion is there. The rebellion takes place. Now come over to Job 15. God in creation, he's creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. Those are communicative things. We're not going to spend the time going down through Genesis. Maybe we'll do it one time in the future. But when you think about Satan has, Satan has no power to create anything except chaos. Because <laughs> he takes the truth of God and does what? turns it into a lie. So Satan being a created being himself, he can't create anything. So what's he going to do then? He takes what God created and causes it to rebel. And then in that rebellion uses it to accomplish his purpose, plan, and wisdom. Okay? I know I shifted gears, didn't I? We got Israel, think, keep Abraham there. Now look at Job 15. Job 15, 14. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he might be righteous. Behold, he, that's God, putteth no trust in his saints. Now the saints there are the heavenly host. Okay, they're not you and I and believers. They're the heavenly hosts. There's verses in Psalms and everything that talk about the heavenly congregation and the heavenly hosts in Isaiah. The heavens are not clean in his sight. So what has happened to the sons of God in the heavenly place, in the heavens out there? There's a pollution. There's a rebellion. But wait a minute. What is up there in the physical creation? Sun, moon, stars, planets, right? You guys, I, I know I shifted gears because we're trying to get going, huh? But you've got to think about this. What was unclean? 
Well, you've got the rebellion of the heavenly host, the saints, but you also have adversary now using the physical creation to promote the spiritual rebellion. Verse 16. How much more abominable and filthy is man, which drinketh iniquity like water. Now, notice that. He starts by, should man be clean? And then he's, now he's what? Filthy. So what has man done? He's rebelled too. He's joined the rebellion. Now, come over to Deuteronomy 4, and let's put all this together, or at least try to. Deuteronomy 4. God creates. Adam, or Satan rebels. He can't create anything, so now he goes into creation, Deuteronomy 4. He goes into creation and he's going to use creation. Do you know that if Satan could have, he would have made another man? He couldn't make man. He can't create. So what does he do? He usurps man, God's creation, to be used as his, adversary, his advocate now. Deuteronomy 4. In the book of Deuteronomy, the dudo, the second giving of the law, Numbers, Leviticus, he's given it, Exodus, Leviticus, he's already given it. Now he's giving it again to that new generation. As Moses sits, as the nation of Israel is going to go into the land, Moses sits and writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's writing those books to educate Israel about why they're where they're at and what they have to do going in. Numbers 33, you're going to go in and dispossess the inhabitant. As he writes, Deuteronomy 4, the great passage here about who Israel is, look at verse 19. Because this is a warning to Israel. And lest thou, Israel, lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars even all the host of heaven. So what are they looking up at? Creation, the physical creation, right? Shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. Now let's think about this. In Genesis 1, 14 to 19, you have the physical creation of the heaven, the, the closed firmament, second heaven. So the physical is there, and yet what's happened here? What did God do, Genesis 10 and 11, with the Gentile nations out there? He literally assigns them to the, adversary, the gods of the adversary, Baal worship, all of it idolatry, paganism. Why? Because he's got Abraham over here that's his guy that he's going to go deal with. What did man say? Romans 1. We don't want God. We won't retain him in our knowledge. We don't want him. We want to do our own thing. And what did God say? Go right ahead and oh, by the way, you're going to, go to, you're going to worship him. That's going to be your your. your your son God. That's going to be, and he assigns, he literally takes in Luke 4, Matthew 4, in the temptation of Christ, Satan says these, the kingdoms of the world are mine. Where'd that happen? Genesis 10, Genesis 11. 
And the warning to Israel is, is if you start worshiping that stuff up there, guess where you're going to go? The same way. Notice carefully, worship and serve. So when someone is looking up and they're worshiping, that's called idolatry. It's what the pagans do. And Israel, you're not to do that. By the way, you and I are not to do that. You're worshiping. Now, they're not worshiping the sun as in a big ball of gas and doing... They're worshiping what? The sun God. They're worshiping the spiritual source behind it. So there's a worship that's connected to the sun, moon, and stars and the heavenly host. It's connected to this invisible power. This, the physical is a sign of it. It's there. You, if you go back down through, just Google it. Sun God, you Wikipedia makes your eyes go cross trying to read that stuff. And why? Because there's all difference over there. But what are they worshiping? That sun hasn't changed. They're worshiping the what? The spiritual thing behind it. And they serve them. By the way, worship and service is always connected. Because how do you know that your worship is true worship? I'm over here serving. Follow that? By the way, you and I, Romans 12 says true worship isn't that. True worship is you coming over here and being transformed. Real you comes out. That occurs by the renewing of your mind and sound doctrine learned in Romans 1 to 11. There's true worship. True worship is thinking like God would be thinking. These guys are thinking the way the adversary would have them to think. So now think about this. Where we go? Genesis 15, what's Abraham done? Deep sleep. What does he see? He sees Deuteronomy 4.19. He sees the Gentiles come over to John, John 3. The Lord says it here. He sees the Gentiles underneath that spiritual darkness, the power of Satan, and what has it brung to pass? Nothing good. God says, Israel, Deuteronomy 4, don't you do that. You're going into land. You're going into the land of milk and honey. You're going into the Beulah land. You're going in, and you guys don't. But by the way, Deuteronomy 32, Song of Moses, you know what Moses tells them? You're going to do that. <laughs> You're going to go after the little rock. So what did I tell you? John 3? John 3. I know, 316, everybody goes, goes to every game, everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have life, everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Now watch. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is, by the way, verse 18 but he that believeth not is condemned, what? Already. The lost are already lost. They don't have to do anything to be lost. Great conversation going around today that everybody's saved. They just don't know it. Or they're forgiven. They just don't know it. No. What's the word of God say? They're condemned already. 
Now, you've got to do something to get saved, okay? But not the, verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Look at what's going on. The love of the darkness, the love of the works of darkness, the loves of that lifestyle that it produces is what man wants. There's a worship and serve. There's a lifestyle that is produced by the inner appetites of that lost man. The lust of the flesh are these, and wham! Now, in a minute, Paul's going to say, don't you do that. That's not who you are. But here, they're condemned already. Look over with me at Jeremiah 8. You see, folks, don't be mad at the lost people when the lost people do what lost people do. Why? They're ignorant. That's the only thing they know how to do. You know what our job is? 2 Corinthians 4, we'll get there hopefully. Another 20 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. We get over there. What are we to do? We're to shine the light of the glorious God. Jeremiah 8. Man, th just think about these guys. Jeremiah 8. Fascinating passage in Jeremiah 8 here. Uh, about uh, the pagans. Verse 1, At that time with the Lord they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of his, pre of his princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. Where are we? We're in a graveyard, aren't we? Amongst the dead. And they shall spread them before, now watch, the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, whom they have loved and whom they have served and after whom they have walked and whom they have sought and whom they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor be buried. They shall be but for dung upon the face of the earth. And what I want you to catch is the word whom. Not which they loved and so forth, but whom. That's a person. That is a spiritual component, a spiritual being that is behind the symbols that they are worshiping, that they are loving, serving, and the whole bit. And you know what? Israel knows it. By the way, just let your eye drop down to verse 7. Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle in the crane. You see the stork? <laughs> Who brings the babies? Well, the pickle dude does. The, you know, okay? See, but where did it come from? It comes out of this pagan idolatry stuff. Come over to Zephaniah. Zephaniah is right before Haggai. Zephaniah 1. You ought to read these little minor prophets. Actually, if you read them with the thinking about the spiritual wickedness and darkness, they make your hair curl. Zephaniah 1. Zephaniah 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah, the son there. Verse 2, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. Do you think he'll do that one day? I think he will. I'm, you know what? I have no worry 
whether the Dems are running the show, the Republicans are running the show, or nobody's running the show, because in the end, who's going to run the show? The Lord is. You know what my you know what I got a problem my you know where my focus is? Being who I am in Christ, living there. Worried about that. Verse three I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. I will also stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the name of the Chemerims with the priest and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops and them that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malchum. You see Malchum and Cherimim, those are denominations in Baal worship. They're divisions in Baal worship. And they're named, and you go over in the kings, and he names them all for you. Why? Because there's a satanic policy of evil that fills up the universe with darkness, and no matter what it looks like, no matter what it manifests as, no matter the form it takes, it's designed is to keep it all in darkness. Spiritual darkness. Now come over to 2 Corinthians 4, because we've got to get done. I, I miss 2 Corinthians 4. Not 1 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are what? Lost. They're already condemned. They have a choice to make, though. Their destiny hasn't been proven out yet. Because what can they choose? They can choose the glorious gospel. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Man, think about that. What is the source? He's done what? The God of this world. What's he done? He's blinded the minds. Now we're back in Ephesians 4. How does he blind the minds? Well, let your eye cross the page to three, chapter 3, verse 14. Help you out here. Context. Context is king, by the way, folks. Doesn't matter what you're doing, what you're studying, what you're arguing. Context is king. What's 3.14 say? But their minds were what? Blinded. But when they, He blinds the minds of them that are blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. How does he blind the minds? He uses Scripture, doesn't he? Yea, hath God said. He's not out there trying to pull a rabbit out of the hat. He's not healing anybody, by the way. Today in the age of grace, healing is a mute issue. So what's he not doing? He ain't healing anybody. Listen, folks, if he wanted to heal people, he would have went down and cleaned out every hospital that had COVID patients in 2020. None of them would have died. But he knows that God's not doing that today. So what is he? He's a counterfeiter. He's not doing that. Now, he will one day have lying wonders, 2 Thessalonians 2, but right now he ain't doing that. Because he knows that if he had gone down there and cleaned out the hospital, who would have got the credit? God would have. But God ain't doing it. 
By the way, that's why you got to pay attention to who, who you're giving credit to. What's he do here? He, verse 4, 4-4, four, four, And whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not. What did he do? You have to believe in a works gospel. Because keep reading. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake. But God, I'm sorry, for God, now watch, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now we're back in Genesis 1-3. Hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's happening? In, Je- in Genesis 1, verse 3, 4, and 5 there, when he turns the lights on, it is so that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God would be put on display again. As he's creating, as the sons of God would sing and shout and rejoice, and as the creatures would say, there is a purpose to creation. There is a reason he's creating. And let's watch this thing happen. And yet, what does the adversary say? No light. Turn the lights out. Darkness. Now come over to Ephesians 5, and we'll, I promise we're done. <laughs> Ephesians 5. I was told one time to quit looking at the clock. Problem is, is your backside is looking at the clock, and I know that, <laughs> okay? And my stomach's telling me, hey, dummy, it was noon 15 minutes ago. But I want to I get to here, Ephesians 5. You see, the light of the life of God's word, rightly divided, will rescue you from the darkness. It will rescue everybody, all mankind, from the darkness. You have to do what with it? Believe. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And the things there are back up there in verse 3, 4, and 5. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. See, you're not to be a partaker with the children of disobedience, with the things that the cometh the wrath of God upon. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's where we're supposed to be. Verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. What are we to do? We're to, we're to verse 7, We're not to partake with them. We're to be free. We have been declared free. We have been delivered from. And we are to live in that. Today, the 4th of July, independence. Woohoo! And yet here we are, and we're to live as who we are in Christ. And we're to have his life be what sets us free. Because the system ain't going to do it. So when you see people do what people do, lost people do, don't be upset. They're just working in the the system they know. They've been assigned to. They've got to work it out. You and I, we've been assigned to the kingdom of his dear son. And we have a kingdom lifestyle that we're to live. And that lifestyle starts in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Our identity starts in 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. Works over into Ephesians. It's a put off, put on. It's a whole mindset that we're to have. And when we interact with the world, 
we're interacting it from the light side of the equation, not the darkness. But what are we to do? We're not ignorant of his devices. We're to know the dark side. We're to understand that side because what do we have to do? We go to war with that and we duke it out. The source of the spiritual darkness is the adversary. And you and I have been liberated from it, Colossians 1. That's where we started. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. Our dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who we are in your Son. We thank you for everything that you've given to us in him. And Lord, I pray that we'll just take these and think about them, put them down into our thinking, work it out in our lives, that we can walk as children of the light for you. In a dying world, in a perverse and dying world, in an evil world, in our life, we can have your life, the char- your character, be put on display in our lives. And we do it for your honor and for your glory, because that's the only reason why we would do it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be dismissed with the song.